hope everybody is warm and ready to go. Uh, my name is Baba Khawkhane Dewi. I'm going to be moderating the session. We are having an influx of participants uh, on this penultimate webinar. So we are behind the scene, uh, frantically trying to admit as everyone as possible. If you can just give us a few minutes to admit um, uh, the numbers that are piling up at the back end of our system. And then we will certainly kick off what um, looks to be an interesting and informative session as the other series have been. So fasten your seatbelt. Our panelists are here oozing and ready with their fire to light up everybody. So give us a few uh, minutes and we'll be ready to go. To mute yourself at all times, unless the moderator or a panelist is speaking, or you have been asked to um, question. I ask you to put yourselves on mute if you are not speaking right now. Thank you so much for understanding. Okay, our very esteemed panelists and all guests, a final call and reminder that if you are in the session, please mute yourselves. Um, I sound like a school teacher, but I uh, promise you that's not the intention at all. Please mute yourselves so that we have a good audio um, quality in terms of the recording and the live stream to Facebook that's happening now. Um, when you are asked to address the question, um, you can unmute yourselves, but please ensure that you have muted yourself while on the call. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Mr. Baba, I'll hand over to you.
we ready to go nas we are good to go i need to queue our excellent video we want to play but we'll give you an indication of that but please go ahead we can kick off the session i think we already have 224 in the meeting and admitting more participants so i i will once again humbly request everyone as soon as you get into the meeting please mute yourselves thanks everyone mr bawa over to you thank you very much um once again welcome to the fourth uh, webinar of the Gauteng Tourism Authority my name is Baba Khawhanediwi I'm the head of destination marketing at Gauteng Tourism I'm going to be the driver and facilitator for today's session we experience and talent from our esteemed panelists, I'll soon introduce them. Uh, but combined, all of them makes almost a century worth of experience in the sector, ranging from eventing to digital marketing, to liaising, to business processes, coordination. We are ready set with a wealth of talent to get the conversations going. We started this four-part series webinars as part of the concerted efforts to engage with the sector to seek solution on the challenges confronting us, chief among others being the coronavirus pandemic that is befalling upon all of us, this virus that is ravaging the world as we see, but with the visitor economy connected to so much of the sub-related sectors, it's very important for us to look for solutions, interventions from a broad sector of our societies and especially our partners in the sector. We are guided by the mantra that says tourism is government-led, private sector-driven, community-based and labor-intensive. And all these puzzles, when they come together, they help us to strive and continue to build a resilient sector um, that appreciate the value of the workers, that appreciate multi-party dynamism in all its facets. We are hopeful to see that dynamism at play today as we engage in this sector. Also joined by our esteemed leadership at the Houghton Tourism Authority, um, uh, our CEO, Ms. Yolan Kona, uh, she's here. We also have your colleague in chief, especially in the mice sector, uh, our own encyclopedia, Ms. Noniku Becker, she's also here. And they have decided to take the back seat to really put into practice this mantra of having the sector driving and informing some of our interventions. So we welcome you. Um, uh, to this session. Allow me, ladies and gentlemen, to go straight to introducing our esteemed panel. We are joined and excited to be having Mr. Chifua uh, Chivenga, the CEO of the Tourism Business Council of South Africa, a strong advocate and voice for the, the sector um, for the past four months. Um, uh, Chifua and the team have really been leading from the front 
um, uh, making all of us excited and proud to be part of this dynamic sector. Uh, Chifiwa, welcome and thank you very much to take time to join us out of your busy, busy, busy schedule of lobbying for the sector, but also trying to balance um, uh, lives and livelihood. Just to test your audio, can you just say hi to everybody and we see your face. Hi, good, after, good afternoon. Uh, uh, lovely. He, 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 don't be fooled by the, the low voice. He's quite a fierce character, so we'll get the tone and the volume up as we engage in the conversation. We're also excited to be joined by Ms. Anna-Marie Storm, um, Events, Health and Safety. We, we call her Ms. Protocols. Um, if you want proper event, um, uh, uh, compliance, uh, top safety measures. Um, Anna Marie, it's your best bet. Anna Marie, thank you very much for joining us. We are really excited, but not looking forward from uh, to receive the call front from your side. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thanks for the invitation to be part of this. Thank you, Anna Marie. We are also excited to be joined by uh, Mr. David Crouch from Pivot Business Model. Um, uh, speaks about, about entertainment, that is their facility that continues to mainstream entertainment and eventing as a key offering. Um, David, welcome. Quite excited to be having you in our panel. Do you want to greet everyone? Thank you. Morning, everybody. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Lovely. And um, we're also joined by Mr. Data Mola, uh, events and experience. Uh, today, it's all about events and experience, but events across the board. Um, Data, do you want to say hi? Hi there, Barbara. Thank you very much to Hatting Tourism Authority for giving us the platform to chat. Um, micro and small enterprises generally don't have a voice, and we thank you for giving us a voice to also add value to the chain. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the last of our panelists uh, is Mr. William Price uh, from Virtual Reality Events. William is not a stranger. Uh, to all of us, but also to this platform in particular, uh, is Mr. Tourism Tech uh, himself. William, excited to see you again, smiling and happy, and looking forward to see some of your robots and other exciting stuff that are going to characterize our meetings. Well, I, don't, I didn't bring any robots with me today, but I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That's our esteemed panel. William didn't bring robots, but certainly he will be bringing uh, the future to today. So we're quite excited and, 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 and looking forward. Uh, before we go straight into our conversation, Nas, um, are we able to give our participants just a glimpse of the eventing landscape in Gauteng, the economic hub, the business hub, the event destination, our preferred venue for meetings, conferencing, events, and exhibition, all summarized in a few minutes clip of 
reminiscing and reminding us as we battle with the coronavirus, what are some of the spaces and places and the people that makes this sector what it is in Gauteng? Let's take a few minutes and look at this clip. Thank you very much. We are mixing business and leisure. We pride ourselves as a pleasure uh, destination. We'll uh, continue to share some of our clips um, uh, video content just to remind us because uh, sometimes we get so consumed by this lockdown. Um, but thank you very much. Uh, like I've said, we welcome the leadership of the Houghton Tourism Authority. We welcome uh, members of the board who have continued to guide us and be a pillar of strength and support as we ravage through these challenges. So everyone um, uh, is welcomed. We are meeting under a platform of Zoom. So um, we are able to be joined by people across uh, the globe. So we're quite excited to have a diverse uh, audience. And maybe just to kick off and bring you, Chifiwa, into um, the spotlight as the voice for, for, for the sector. Uh, today we are focusing on the eventing space uh, in its entire value chain. But I guess from uh, the start of February, March, having to deal with this pandemic that nobody knows its origin, what is coming, it's been a daunting task, especially from your side, coordinating multi-sectors, uh, uh, some not necessarily in tourism, but playing a crucial role in supporting the visitor economy. What has been some of the challenges as you continue to struggle between multi-sectors that strive to balance you know, um, uh, uh, mediating information around the virus, but also inspiring and instilling confidence. Well, thank you for having me and good afternoon to everyone. Uh, it's good to, to be here uh, to talk about the sector that we love, uh, that we work in. Um, and as much as I say it's good to be here, uh, it's also uh, an unprecedented times uh, where we find ourselves. Uh, we are dealing with a pandemic. Uh, we have been dealing with it for quite some time now. 
For us in the tourism sector, we've seen this pre-lockdown uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the decline in bookings, the cancellations. I'm sure many events were canceled, many exhibitions were canceled, uh, and many incentive travel were canceled. Uh, so it is an unprecedented times where, you know, we cannot see each other face to face and we find ourselves, uh, you know, at the moment uh, at a place where uh, majority of our colleagues uh, within the sector, you know, are without jobs. They are sitting at home. They are dependent on uh, UAF. Uh, you know, we also find ourselves, you know, in this risk-adjusted strategy uh, whereby we have no clue or idea when, you know, we're going to be opening up, uh, you know, our industry and able to put bread on the table. So we find ourselves in this time where, you know, it's difficult time for, for the businesses, it's difficult time for our staff, uh, it's difficult time, you know, for everyone involved within the value chain of tourism. And uh, all I can say is that, you know, we are all in this together. Uh, we are doing this together. We will come out of this together. It has been tough uh, in terms of, um, you know, convincing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the powers that be uh, on the importance of tourism. Uh, how it contributes to the economy, how many people are employed within the value chain, uh, and how many more small businesses are involved in ensuring that the delivery of tourism uh, as a final product, uh, you know, is complete. Uh, and uh, we have been coordinating with the Department of Tourism. Uh, we have been working with uh, many other uh, departments, including the Department of Health. Uh, we have been working with the Department of Public Works, we have even gone as far as uh, meeting with the presidency uh, to really plead our case uh, to reopen the sector. And I am confident uh, that as we continue with this work, uh, we should see more and more uh, parts of our sector being open. We've seen this with, uh, you know, small meetings being opened. Uh, you know, we should be able to move further on the basis of the protocols that we, we, we have developed. But it's been a, a, a big task for us, uh, coordinating everyone, showing everyone that we are a responsible sector. Uh, we can de-risk the sector. We can mitigate the spread of the virus. And we should be able to, to continue to, to operate. Slowly, slowly, things are opening up. Hopefully more, you know, comes into the table. Thank you, Pio. Are you saying um, maybe... With all this um, pandemic, it has also brought to the fore the centrality and importance of the visitor economy. Uh, probably some underestimate the impact, the centrality of the sector. Now you are speaking to all the other supporting uh, sectors. Uh, on the positive side, would you say this has mainstreamed the, the sector and its importance and it's up to us? to leverage that platform and take it to greater heights? No, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of people just thought tourism is, uh, is about fun. You know, people going out to a destination and having fun or traveling uh, to Gauteng and, and go shopping and go to a club and have a meeting. So they now understand that there's a huge value chain behind this. They now understand that we consume many other products across multiple uh, industries. Uh, for example, you know, you look at, uh, you know, uh, car manufacturing. 12.5% uh, of all cars that are locally manufactured in South Africa are bought by the tourism industry uh, for use. 
lots of buses, you know, that come into this country, be it uh, we're importing them unfinished and we complete them here at home. There are many companies that are dependent, you know, on the tourism, travel and tourism industry. Uh, there are many companies that sell food, for example, that are dependent on conferences happening, meetings happening, uh, for them to prepare these ingredients and be able to, uh, to send them, you know, for, for final preparation. So I think what, what has happened is that everyone now is, that it's, is starting to understand that tourism is important. It's a business. It's not just about, you know, people going to, to, to a destination. Uh, the, the fact that you have that final product, it means that there's a lot of people that are involved in making sure that that final product is what it is. And the understanding of, you know, people that work in the industry, the fact that we've got a lot of people that are doing housekeeping, we've got a lot of technicians that makes these events, you know, happen. Uh, we've got a lot of people that are doing staging. Uh, you look at, you know, exhibition, you know, how many small companies are involved in that. So we're trying to show that picture to government to say, it's not just about the final product. When you look at... Uh, the, the investment summit complete with lighting and uh, its glamour and the TV uh, personalities standing in front of it and emceeing the events. There's a lot that goes into it. And we're trying to show that part to ensure that there's an understanding of the value chain of tourism. I think Absolutely. that this pandemic has done that. And I, I believe that it, it will continue to do that. And we should be taken serious, you know, as a sector. Absolutely. I can't agree more. Thank you so much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, uh, we welcome those who have joined us. We have been joined by over 107 people since we started the conversation, so the numbers are growing. Um, you can utilize the chat facility on the system there. The conversations will not be restricted to our panelists only, so feel free to pose in your question, uh, your commentary on the chat facility there. We're also coming to uh, live on Facebook. So we'll also be looking across our socials, what people are saying. I'll pose those questions directly to our panelists. But because we are a sector uh, um, uh, body, we will not have the opportunity to put all the subsectors that make the eventing uh, space here on the panel. We are excited to be joined by some of our brain trust on the chat and we will zoom into them later on to also tap into their wealth of experience. Um, so use the chat facility below. Feel free to uh, uh, engage. We'll pose those questions to our panelists. Some of them will go straight to um, uh, our leading uh, players in this uh, space to provide instant um, uh, commentary and feedback. At the end of this session, We'll also package all the comments, all the questions into a, a newsletter that we'll distribute to all the participants to keep the conversations going. Our hashtag is GP Tourism Engage, hashtag GP Tourism Engage, hashtag Visit Gauteng. Let's utilize those hashtags as we shared in the information. As we continue, maybe to bring in Dave, as we spoke about the business um, of uh, tourism that cuts across the entire value chain from small mama in the uh, stadium who cooks to the buses, to the airlines, to the transportation. Let's unpack the business of events. Uh, uh, I guess it's not all about the light, sound, entertainment and dancing 
but again, some mechanisms behind the scene that involves a lot of people now can function, um, uh, livelihoods threatened, and um, we continue to rely on this sector to instill hope and inspiration for all of us. Are you able to unpack a little bit what constitutes the business of the sector? Uh, morning. Thank, thank you, Baba. Um, and just let me just start by thanking uh, the GTA um, for, for giving us this opportunity. Um, you know, I'm coming from an aspect of the entertainment part of tourism. And, we, you know, we start right at the beginning um, with, with, with speakers like yourself, um, professional speakers, um, all the way up to the superstars and everything in between. And, and I'm going to include the, the technical crew who I, I the unsung heroes, um, just to, to say thank you to you guys behind the scenes uh, for, for putting together the event. I know uh, there's a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, we were the first out and we're probably going to be the last back in. Um, and and that, that's, the, that's the reality. It's, um, it, uh, I had a little presentation and I, we entitled it Drawing the Curtain. And, and we used that topic because it, it could be either opening or closing. Um, and 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 that we're we're in dire straits. There's there's no there's no doubt about it. I've got a couple of questions that I'd like to pose and and just see what the the experience of our audience is here today. You know, I, I'd like to ask some. Uh, you know, have have you guys ever used um, speakers or an MC or band or a DJ or or, or even background music at your events? you know, prior to the, 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 the shutdown, just give us a yes or a no. Have you um, organized any virtual events since the, the lockdown? Um, have you used entertainment speakers, etc., at your virtual events since lockdown? And have you attended a virtual event where there was no entertainment, no, no performer, no MC or background music uh, that was used during that, during that event? Um, I, I think when we get the results of, of, of these questions, you'll see that entertainment is an integral part of most events. Um, I think uh, we can, it'll be important to go back and, and just quickly run over what happened, um, you know, since the 14th of March. In fact, prior to 14th of March, we started feeling uh, cancellations or, or postponements of events as um, things started unfolding okay. in the East. Um, we, the 14th of March, uh, the president declared a state of disaster and events greater than 100 people were prohibited. And, and that's when the fallout really started happening. Um, and then we all know on the 26th of March, we went into level five lockdown and all events were stopped. Um, and all of our artists, um, technicians, um, anybody connected with the entertainment industry, most of whom are freelance, um, were out of work. Um, everything was canceled or postponed. Um, and at that point, um, I think like most citizens, um, 
the industry believed that, you know, three weeks after lockdown, we'd go back to normal. And as we know now, that, that hasn't been the case. Um, like I said, you know, events and entertainment were the first into lockdown and we're probably going to be the last out of it. Um, on the 25th of March, our Minister of Sports, Arts and Culture announced a relief fund for, for, for athletes and artists. And artists could apply for funding for, for, for events that were cancelled. And uh, that's non-departmental uh, funded events. So anybody who was uh, departmentally funded were, were, were considered for, 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 for assistance. Um, but at that point, most of the events were not canceled. They were postponed. So um, in order to, to apply for the funding, you needed to provide verifiable documentation that the event had been canceled. And this prohibited a lot of people from actually applying. Um, the, 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 the applications for funding closed on the 4th of April. And, uh, you know, after a little bit of pressure, they extended that to the 6th. Remember, you know, we were 10 days into lockdown. So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it was very early days. I mean, even with those 10 days, there were over 6,000 applications for assistance um, received by the creative industry. And that, those are um, organizations. And some of them were individuals. Um, by the 24th of May, the department released a list of approved applications. There was only 488 out of 6,000 were approved. And the maximum amount payable to any artist or group or arts organization, irrespective of the value of the, con of the cancel contracts, was 20,000 Rand. Um, the lowest amount that was paid out according to the list that was released, 500 Rand. So many artists were advised, you know, out of 6,000 that their applications had been declined due to there being other sources of relief funding available to them, but they were given the option to appeal uh, the decision within five working days after receipt of the notification. Not much explanation was provided regarding what these other sources of income, uh, other sources of relief was, um, and how, you know, we could apply. But since the appeal process I believe that more than 1,500 um, acts and artists were assisted. Um, and we hope that this will continue as the appeals are processed. Um, then earlier this month, the, um, our own provincial Gauteng Department of Sports, Arts, Culture and Recreation announced another relief scheme, which was 28 million. That's been capped at 6,000 Rand per application. I'm not sure where we are in that process, um, but you know, it, 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 there is some assistance out there. Um, just a, an aside, um, during this time, um, there was a little bit of good news, um, a, a small victory for the creators of artistic works in South Africa. Um, 22nd of June, the president sent back the copyright amendment bill, as well as the performers protection bill back to parliament for review. But I think we'll get into the copyright aspect of uh, what's happening a little bit later. Um, so despite this, this assistance, the current situation is dire. Most freelance artists have little or zero savings. They, they, most of them live from job to job and they're unable to feed their families. Mm -hmm. 
there's been very little funding from other schemes available. I mean, most of these people are not registered for UIF. If they do happen to have a small company, they're not registered as employers. So, and, and they don't have much fixed assets to use as collateral for loans. Absolutely. So we've got into that, the, 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 era of virtual performances. And um, I, I'm, I'm sure many of us have watched, I can see the numbers, a lot of people have watched um, these virtual performances. I mean, with varying degrees of success, um, there's been a hell of a lot of challenges. Um, yeah, we all know that data prices in South Africa are amongst the highest in the world. Um, and you know, many performers just can't afford to buy data. And um, then they faced with the challenge of uh, the, the speed and the stability of, of the data is not always conducive to streaming um, live performances. So despite this being the only sort of immediate source of income right now, um, artists are, 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 are using the social media platforms and uh, they, they're using donations, um, requests for donations um, to, on, on these live performances. Um, there have been some new, I, I would say, um, new, renewed challenges. Um, the, 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 the quality of sound at home um, is, is, is a challenge. Um, that was during le level five, they, they couldn't even get into studios to, to do these performances. That's been relaxed now, um, and, and artists are able to, to, to get into studio. But, um, you know, working from home, there's power outages, there's uh, unreliable load shedding schedules. So, so there, there's major changes. These artists have now, it's a very steep learning curve. They've had to use QR. Yes. Yeah. So um, without a doubt, the, um, there's just buckets and buckets, loads of um, uh, challenges, not just for the sector, but for the entire country. The, um, uh, our, our experiences are an integral part of the entire community when communities can't just cook um, to get a proper meal. Uh, the same rippling effect goes to an entertainer who can make a decent living out of engaging the audience. We're really um, uh, quite excited uh, by you sharing these insights. We'll get back to some of the issues as we continue with the conversation. I want to bring on board uh, Anna-Marie, um, uh, especially around this. We have uh, got a picture in terms of uh, what are some of the challenges, um, what are some of the expectations, but all this needs to now, as we reopen, reopen under strict protocols to balance uh, saving lives and creating uh, livelihoods for, for the sector. Are you able to just give us a helicopter view what some of the generic protocols um, that needs to be uh, administered? It's a must to have these in place, including I've seen you have added in a new certificate under your list of um, 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 key competencies now, uh, covert uh, uh, a practitioner. So will we have to have every event uh, organizer now um, upskilling their safety officer to also include 
COVID-related skills? What are some of the must-do protocols in the sector for everybody wanting to run an event of any magnitude under conditions of COVID-19? Okay. Um, first of all, the event professionals will have to sit down and learn how to do a risk assessment of the event because that is required by the director from the Department of Labor and um, we need to do that. Uh, they'll have to appoint a compliance official, a COVID-19 compliance official, which will normally be your event safety officer. Uh, body temperature needs to be taken uh, or scanned, hand sanitizing, either wash with wa uh, water and clear, uh, clear water and soap, uh, and hand sanitizer will have to be placed strategically around uh, um, the venue. Um, you have to have an isolation area. For if one of your attendees do have symptoms of COVID-19, that the person can really can immediately be taken there and supplied with a FFP1 mask and protocols followed from there to inform the Department so, of Health. Sorry, sorry Anna Marie, just to uh, step you a little bit. Are you able to speak closer to your microphone? There seems to be. Um, um, comments around not hearing you properly. So please, you can just speak closer to uh, the microphone. These are quite very important uh, aspect of the sector. So I want everybody to hear what you are saying. Okay, can you hear me now? Is that better? Getting better, getting better. If you come closer and closer. Okay, <laughs> let's see what I can do here. Okay, uh, is that better? Yes. Okay. Uh, shall I start all over? You can continue. Okay. So um, you'll have to do public health messages during your event and to keep people alert on uh, social distancing and hand sanitizing. And then last I spoke about the isolation facility. Then they'll have to do, the event professional will have to do a um, risk assessment on the event. And then also in place of that, have a response plan, a COVID-19 response plan ready. And also a action plan of what they will do if there is a person with symptoms. Uh, the venues will also have to provide the event professional with a disinfection mitigating plan. So the venues must also come to the party. It's not just all on the event professional that this is coming down. And then obviously it will filter down to your uh, service providers, your security, your medics on site, uh, your waste management, your cleaning service providers, and then all your other service providers providing a, a, a service at the event. Thanks, thanks, Anna Marie. We will get, we'll get more of um, those as we proceed with the conversations. I just want to bring back into the conversation data. Um, data the 
others argues that the COVID-19 has brought to the fore the need to overall present a responsible destination, a responsible uh, paradigm. So, um, events hosted by nature needs to be responsible, needs to adhere to all the basic health protocols, need to adhere to sustainability, and others argue that the eventing space, like any other space, also needs to be able to accommodate um, issues around uh, the diversity. So how important is it for the sector to uh, be able to be guided by these protocols? How important is it to embed this protocol as part of your overall planning, not just as a response, to COVID-19, but part of what you offer to provide a fulfilling experience, either for your delegates, for your corporate buyers, or for your normal leisure events participants? Well, I think um, everybody has been shaken up as to what to expect from events. I think everybody's running in different directions. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I think it's a critical time for all businesses to pivot themselves and to figure out what the new normal is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a space where nobody really knows what's going on, but we have to make the best with what we've got. So all the protocols that Anna Marie has put on the plate needs to be implemented. Um, there's also a new trend now heading towards virtual reality events, which is what we're touching on. So um, it's important to also know that there is options available to you. It's very important to stay up to date with what's going on. Virtual reality can be combined with a actual hybrid event. Um, so I'm going to just talk around that. So the future of eventing, um, if I can have the next slide, please. Let's just have a look here. So talking to that, um, events um, have been affected really badly by COVID. Um, health and safety. Distancing has made sure that our venue spaces are no longer able to, keep, uh, to, to cater for the big capacity events. We're only allowed to do 50 people at a time. Uh, risk elements have presented themselves. Um, however, virtual reality has brought to the front that we can harvest a lot more information from running a virtual reality event you can have unlimited numbers in the space, whereas with the current situation, you can only have 50 people per event and the risk of going back into stricter um, stages of the pandemics um, and the, 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 our situation is gonna go up and down in Joburg and in Gauteng in particular, um, as the virus uh, progresses through us and we're prone to become the new hotspot. So it's, very it's a critical time to pivot your business. Um, and to pivot your business, I'm just trying to get to the next slide. There we go. I'm experiencing a bit of a delay here. Trying to figure this out. I guess it's in the nature of the the event um, uh, virtual space. So yeah. uh, delays are part of the <laughs> challenges. You will you will even have delayed um, uh, speakers in your conference. 
So, but yeah, I, I, I think very much um, it's a situation for innovation. So to pivot your business, you need to do your research and see if there is space for you to actually have a virtual event. Does your target audience have access to the, to the, 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 the um, data that you need, the bandwidth that you need, the, the devices that you need? So you need smartphones, you need tablets, you need laptops. And if you can say yes, and you're targeting the millennials who are all very tech savvy, tech, tech savvy, then yes, go ahead and do it. And go with virtual reality and, and pivot yourself towards virtual reality. We, we, we absolutely agree with you, um, um, uh, Data, but how do we... How do we manage what happened in the other state? I will not mention in the presidential debate where everybody promised to go and nobody turns up. So, so um, I guess the point here is around balancing, um, uh, having 50 people and then uh, also augmenting that with virtual uh, people. But how do you create that balance? How do you create that certainty uh, that what you are offering, it's not just people booking and not turning up, creating all this hype and not showing up, uh, but also the harsh realities of the access to connectivity and, and other digital devices that characterize the sector we have in South Africa and in Gauteng. So I think it's very important for us to, to make sure that your content is relevant. So the way you attract people to join you on your events and that's to make sure that it's relevant, that it's up to date, that you're sharing, sharing value, that you are um, maybe even doing a hybrid event where you've got the real event and then you're adding new people across. Um, so to pivot, you need to listen, you know, listen to your audience, um, listen to what's going on, be open to the change that you, that you, that you, need to be implementing in your business. Um, re do your research and your planning. That's critical for you to make a successful event. Um, turn the product into a service. You know, you can, you can have just a normal basic product, but it's very important to add value to people's lives and actually becoming a service orientation. Um, you need to understand and refine your targets. Keep it simple, you know, don't go overboard, you know. Lose your audience if you make it too difficult. So keep it simple. Make them feel safe. So if you're having a real event where you've got 50 people um, joining you at a physical facility, then make sure that you're, you're, you're adhering to all the critical um, touch points that Anna Marie has covered. I mean, sanitation, masks, all of that. It's very important to, to make sure that you've got all of that covered. Without a doubt, maybe let's bring on board um, uh, William. Um, um, William, you have been a key uh, proponent of uh, digitalizing our offerings for many years, over 25 years with your, your work um, on the hack tourism and um, some of the initiative you initiated while you were at South African uh, Tourism. Um, will you say uh, COVID-19 have fast-tracked some of the things that were um, a long distant wish when we started introducing digital aspect into the sector. Uh, absolutely. I think 
you know, technology is always racing out ahead of us. And I think in tourism and, and in the eventing space, it's so important for us to kind of keep up with them. And yes. so, sorry, William, yep. can, can, can you also put your volume on number 10? Number 10, here we go. How about that? Is that better? Uh, let, let's, let's increase again. Okay, I'm maximum volume. How's that? That's better now. That's better. Good. I'll use my stage voice. I won't use my virtual reality voice. Um, absolutely. I think it's so important to recognize that technology is outpacing so many of, of the things that we do in tourism. And for business to be able to continue to be competitive, you've got to really be in a place where you can keep up with technology and what it offers. Really, when it comes to giving customers what they expect, that's an important thing as well. So as a sector, that was really why a lot of the education we did at SA Tourism at Indaba during the tech zone and all of the talks that we arranged for the trade was to give them a, a sense of what the trade was doing and what technology was able to offer. I think very quickly, we've, we've really realized that, you know, lockdown has changed everything and there's still a need for us to do all of these things. You know, business needs to continue. And I think technology now needs to be the thing that enables those things. We can't be in a position where we get left behind. Consumers and, and people in the workplace are doing things differently. They're starting to ask questions, difficult questions for our industry to answer, which is, should we still travel to go to these business congresses, these events and, and trade exhibitions? So that's something that we need to pay very careful attention to. So how do you do that? You've got to be in a position where you can engage your audience and that you can in, in really give them impact in terms of the communication and the opportunity that you have. And, and that's an important thing. And I think what we've all seen is that if you don't take the opportunity now to reimagine and to reboot and to rethink, uh, you're never going to be able to restart with the time that you need to be able to make that impact. And I think the problem that we sometimes think, you know, it's not always about artificial intelligence and robots. You know, very often the technology that can give you the kind of impact that you're looking for doesn't have to be very expensive or doesn't have to be so far out of reach. And the key thing for us today is really just to see how we can make these small little changes. If you can make lots of small little changes and you be consistent in those changes, you can actually start to see big change over a longer period of time. So what I want to show you is just something that we've done uh, for Saki. Saki, I think it was a couple of days ago, maybe a week or so ago, they needed to do their AGM. And obviously now technology is something that needs to deliver. You've got people all around the country that need to dial in and get the right information. And I think there's certain things that you have to be able to do. So your marketing and your, and your promotion of your event is critical, but at the same time, the functionality of things like RSVP, reminders, ticket sales, those also need to be done. So those are the things that we've got to do really well before we start adding new technologies or new platforms to the mix. And I think what we decided to do for, a, for the Saki AGM was to change things up slightly and to actually give them a kind of experience that was going to not only take them to the next level from a technology delivery point of view, but also a user experience point of view. And that's why we decided to actually go into studio and actually start showing people what it was that you could do to go beyond a Zoom or beyond a Skype call. So a studio allows you to do a couple of very cool things. Uh, this particular studio has 3D, it has virtual reality, it has green screens, it's got all the lighting and it's got all the audio that you could want to be able to take your presentation to the next level. And really being able to provide that impact is what people were looking for. And you'll notice down on the right-hand side, Lauren was doing the presentation. She did it in front of a green screen, a white podium, and we were able to create an entire virtual set around her to be able to give people that additional impact that, that they were looking for. On the left-hand side, you can see 
all of the stuff that's actually been running in terms of bringing together what you see on screen, what you see in social, what you see in, on Facebook. And you can actually then also incorporate other functionality for AGM, which includes things like voting and comments and actually having that kind of functionality built in also. So we're not gonna to spend too much time about how you can do all of these things. I think it really comes down to, like we've seen in the events um, you know, business, you've gotta be able to create a solution for your client. So when you sit down with your client, you've got to understand what they're looking for and how it is that they want to get their impact carried across. And then you've got to find the right solution for them. So sometimes you won't need to go to all of the trouble of, of creating a, a brand new experience and all this you know, whiz bang pop stuff. But sometimes you also want to go and give them a little bit more. So what we did for the end of the AGM, like you would in a normal meeting, create an environment where people can have some fun. We decided to add some live entertainment. And what that looked like was actually putting a band onto the same stage, using the green screen, creating a background, recording and actually broadcasting that to a number of different people across the country and around the world. So that adds a little bit of something different. And that's the stuff that really stands out. So here you can see what that actually looked like. And you can see on the right hand side what that 3D stage looks like and how we could actually create the virtual environment. So again, taking things from one and layering it up and making it better. The last thing is, is obviously, go ahead, Bud. Wrap up. Okay. So that's the kind of leveling up from what you've seen and what you're familiar with. What we're really excited about is after doing a lot of research, finding other solutions that go beyond just what you would see. And this is where we start to really do the fun stuff with regards to the actual virtual events and the trade shows. And so what we've done here is we've uh, partnered with uh, IDNA in South Africa and they work very closely with a very cool bunch of people out of the UK called CG Labs. And this is the kind of stuff that we're now starting to see and bring to market in October. You're gonna see this from the Green Building Council. And here you can get to see a whole new kind of user experience being unearthed and being used. Again, you need people who understand events to put these things together. You need people who understand technology to drive the blending of the technology and the event planning to create this kind of experience for people. And you'll see that we've kind of taken technologies that people are familiar with if you've done any kind of gaming. This is where we're taking the gaming platforms and actually putting the kind of um, events platforms on top of that to create these types of solutions. So this is what we're working on. We're excited about what it offers and what it means. And we think that anyone who can then look at this from an from a event planning point of view can make sense of it. People who want to be able to give their sponsors exposure, people who want to be able to give their, their stand builders, we can actually create 3D stands and import them into this environment. And also the opportunity to be able to do all of the normal things that you would expect. So presenting, having um, you know, big boardroom facilities, having big auditorium facilities, and even the smaller um, conference and meeting room facilities, breakaway rooms, all of these things are now available to us. All right. No, no thank you very much. Um, I, I hear you, William, and, and the comments are coming through from our social, from our chat box. Others says, um, we, we, we understand that we must go into the future is now, but this came in as an instant disruption. All our, our events partners that are here, practitioners, buyers, um, they had to go on a lockdown. And now they must come back virtual players. 
how do we pace this in, but also accommodating the reality that they went on a lockdown preparing for an exhibition with people coming in to build this exhibition, depending on that, that they're gonna build to make livelihoods. And this has been built over years. Experience have been gathered. So how do we transition from that to this new normal that you are presenting? What are the costs? What are the nuances? How do we transition and make sure that this doesn't create a much bigger digital divide and now economic divide, now skills divide as a result of this uh, pandemic that is ravaging? Um, um, you want to take on that? Sure. So I think the most important thing to remember is that we've come through the types of big disruptions in the past. You'll remember that when the internet was invented, everyone said that there'll be no more need for travel agents, um, that airlines and the way that we travel is going to completely change and it's going to kill a lot of uh, business continuity and that people are going to suffer. In fact, the opposite is true. So when we embrace technology and we start to see how we learn to respond to these type of disruptions, we can find opportunities in the chaos. And no one is saying that those skills of putting a live event together is ever going to be overlooked. We're talking about using those same skills in, a, in the same kind of value chain smarter and trying to understand how we're going to make the best out of those opportunities going forward. I don't believe that we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to completely get away from live face-to-face -face environments where people can do business face-to-face. -face. I think that's a critical thing for us to recognize. We are racing towards reopening tourism. We're racing towards you know, changing things up. There are gonna be some things that are going to change and some things that are going to remain the same. I think the things that are gonna remain the same is the willingness for people to want to do business face-to-face, -to, -face, to look at people in the eye, to do a handshake. Those things we can't really get away from. The technologies available to us now have to be ways that we can start weaving into the normal way of doing business so that we can create a new opportunity and a new landscape. So I think that's critical. I don't think that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that for, for us going forward, we wanna find ways to actually pr provide these hybrid events that actually have a nice mix of some digital and some real world, and also things that we've seen in the past with broadcast stuff being played over and over again. So we really have to look at ways of reinventing ourselves. Lockdown is the perfect opportunity for people to do research and to find out how they can reinvent their business and ask those questions of their business plan, ask those questions of their marketing plan. Can they do that better? I think the answer should be yes. Okay, um, maybe let's bring you back again, Chibi. Um, uh, overall in the country, and, and I mean, when I look around, I look at our conferencing venues, I look at our stadiums, I look at our arenas, very, very large facilities. I mean, I look at the Nazarek Center, Expo Center, an amazing infrastructure, one of the biggest in the continent with state-of-the-art technology. Chivio, are we probably scaling up too big in the country? Everything is too big now with all these disruptions we are unable to utilize uh, smaller facilities. I mean, I'm looking at how um, Qatar is uh, positioning itself in terms of its infrastructure for the World Cup, uh, post-World Cup, scaling down, smaller usage and the like. So are, are we too much into this mass events as a psyche of the country, whether it's rallies, whether it's events, whether it's conferencing, and now it's catching with us? 
I, I look, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, we, we've gone far beyond ourselves. We're a big country. Uh, before we know it, we're going to have a population of 60 million people. Uh, and I think that, you know, the infrastructure that we've built is, is quite suitable. And in, in other cases, maybe we need to revamp it and make sure that, you know, it's suitable for, uh, for the use now and it incorporates all these new technologies uh, uh, that are being introduced. So I do believe that, um, uh, you know, the infrastructure meets the needs of the country. The good thing is that we, our meetings are, comes in different sizes, forms and shapes. And we can accommodate from small meetings to medium size to large meetings. I do think that, uh, you know, we, 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 we will see more appetite for people coming into Africa, into South Africa, uh, you know, to utilize these spaces because we've got a whole lot more to offer, you know, pre or post, you know, those meetings or those conferences. So I don't believe that, you know, we are really outpacing ourselves. I actually believe that, you know, we need to add more technology, we still have a large population in this country uh, that is still underserved that may want to use these facilities uh, as time goes on. And also they can be used for other things that are beneficial to the population. So I do think that we've got enough spaces around. Uh, we need to utilize it. We need to grow the economy to make sure that the spaces are, are better utilized. And also we need to also encourage, you know, those that are, you know, moving around for meetings, conferences, events, exhibitions, uh, that we have a variety of properties uh, that can take from medium size, you know, to big size. And we can, we can literally, you know, service everyone. We've got enough accommodation. Uh, we've got enough, uh, you know, logistics on the ground. We should be able to, to meet the demands and the needs, you know, of everyone. Uh, and I think that we should continue, you know, to do so. Maybe what we need to do is say before we build new ones, uh, we need to make sure that the ones that we have are fully utilized to the capacity where, uh, we can say now it warrants us to build more. Uh, but while we, we are not building more, let's get new technology and let's make sure that, uh, you know, we're up to date with the 21st or 22nd century uh, technologies. Absolutely. If you are getting a central message here, it's how do we set our own assets and leverage the current situation? Do, do we envisage us as the sector and broadly the sector, also taking advantage of the solid infrastructure and investment we are making into the health facilities. Do we see, I know there have been some issues around this aspect, but do we see us becoming a responsible tourism, a medical tourism destination as a result of these investments we are making into the sector? and this becoming a new stream, not necessarily new, but a much more focused stream for the sector, whether it's for corporates, whether it's for practitioners, but the, the broader space itself, a new focus addition into um, uh, the visitor economy with medical tourism now taking the fall. No, absolutely. There is that market for medical tourism, especially, you know, within the African continent where a lot of people, you know, move around to come and uh, uh, do elective surgeries or, you know, those surgeries that are life-saving. Uh, you know, you, you, if you look around Senten and, and many other hospitals around there, you know, they do take a lot of people that are, that are coming from, you know, the, within the African continent. And surely when you go to other places, especially those towns or cities that are close to the borders, 
that a private hospital or, or public hospitals that are taking you know the people that are you know coming across the border i do think that uh, you know reliance on that uh, on that market uh, you know it, it could be short-lived we cannot solely rely on the fact that other countries cannot have those medical facilities and make business out of it uh, you know other countries also have to rise especially within the african continent uh, and uh, what we can do is to you know make sure that the skills that we have is passed on to those countries and they're able to do those things you know especially the medical part of it within their you know their own uh, their own country at a you know cost effective way uh, but I do think that it's a market for now. Uh, there are a lot of people that are seeking, you know, those, uh, you know, elective surgeries and also what's called plastic surgeries or corrective surgeries. Uh, and we, I do believe that there's also other people coming from first world countries or the so-called first world countries uh, that are willing to come here uh, to have those surgeries. And we can build up, you know, that kind of market and we can become the Los Angeles of Africa or, uh, you know, the Los Angeles of the entire continent and doing plastic surgeries and, 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 and many more of those similar surgeries. There is a possibility for us. There is a market for us. And I believe that we've got the good doctors for that. And tourism, medical tourism can thrive, you know, from that. But again, it's short term, uh, but we need to take advantage of it. While we still have you here, let's, let's, let's just focus a little bit, Chief, on the skills now. You touched a bit on the skills Overall, we are sitting with event organizers here, we are sitting with meeting planners, we are sitting with professional conferencing uh, organizers, we are sitting with uh, uh, DJs and, and other um, uh, artists that form the entire value chain. Surely, um, a dedicated retraining and skills reorientation program for the entire sector is required now. What are some of the initiatives at the TBCSA to reskill the sector to comply not only with COVID-19, but with the opportunities brought by, by the rapid speeding up of technology-driven shared economy world we find ourselves in? Um, William presented very nice green rooms and screens and, and everything else, but the person who serves food at the restaurant uh, the low skills based nature of the tourism and the visitor economy sector. How do we crowd the much needed capacity from all sectors to retrain skills revolution to make sure that once again, if some pandemic comes in, we are set and ready to thrive? Yeah. Look, look the first thing that we ought to do is to make sure that we are better organized. Um, and when I say better organized, uh, we usually are very much better organized from big business you know, level uh, and uh, those that are in the medium size. But from the small businesses and the people that are, uh, are working within the sector, uh, you know, that are freelancers, people that come and do one or two things and then they move on to the, to the next, we need to better organize ourselves. And, and, and I think that you know, this situation that we're in now, uh, in terms of the COVID-19, it gives us, it, it, it has shown us, shown us the areas where we are not better organized, where we need to improve to make sure that, you know, should anything like this ever happen or repeats itself, we are organized enough to be able to present our case yeah, to government. And also we understand the value of, of, of our sector or subsector or that micro sector to say, this is how much it contributes. So that's one of the things that we ought to do to better organize ourselves. 
Now, number two, once we're organized, we're able to say what is lacking amongst ourselves. We're able to say, you know, what are the skills that are coming across, uh, you know, that we've learned or that we've seen or the trends that we've seen from other countries? How do we make sure that our own people are trained on those skills and they've got those equipments? Once we do that, we can better appeal uh, to either, you know, the funders, uh, be it uh, public funders or private funders, to make sure that we gain those skills or those equipment that we, we, we need to do the business. And that will make us competitive if, if we do it in that way. Now, organ- let's organize ourselves. Let's make sure that no one is left behind because it's very easy for people, the DJs, the entertainers, uh, those that uh, do the production behind the scenes, uh, you know, they are left behind. And, uh, you know, I've seen many people, you know, during this time saying that, uh, you know, uh, because there isn't any movement, there isn't any entertainment, there isn't any meetings, you know, those MCs yeah, that, uh, that uh, we talked about uh, could be, you know, high level MCs, celebrities, there could be those that are up and coming. How do we make sure that we, we really put together the value, you know, of these skills and how they contribute to making sure that whatever we do, uh, run smooth, uh, and whatever we do contributes to the economy, contributes to the uh, well-being of society, and how it, it is important. That's why I said in the beginning that a lot of people look at us and they just see, you know, the good guys, the, the guys that know how to put together the good times. Tourism is good time. Events is about good time or people meeting uh, or exhibition. So they look at the final product. We need to educate people about the entire value chain so that people can understand that the final product is brought in by a lot of people that are skilled, semi-skilled. Some of them are not even skilled, but we pull it together into one. So let's organize ourselves better in this time. Absolutely. Let's organize ourselves way beyond our own sectoral confines, but create a bigger pool. Get a skills record, looks at the gaps, and see how best can we address those gaps with international players, but looking at Africa as a market and taking advantage of a youthful and viable audience. That's the message I'm getting, ladies and gentlemen. Anna-Marie, we want to bring you back again. Um, uh, people want to have big events. They are saying in the chat here, they are saying in socials, um, we, we hear about 50 people, but we are orientated towards big gathering. That's where we make our money. What are the protocols there? Uh, Clinton series says, um, are you part of the event safety council, which has been op- op- operating on the event uh, reopening guidelines for the past um, uh, for the past week? Um, but also, I want to find out from you how do you turn uh, what normally do we ma- how do we man- manage event hotspots so that they don't create new COVID hotspots? Okay, first, uh, can you hear me? I just want to check on the sound there. Is that okay? Can you hear me, Baba? Yes. Um, okay, I'm not part of the Event Safety Council. Um, I'm situated in the Western Cape, but I work all over the country. I work a lot in Johannesburg and in Pretoria as well. Um, Hotspots on an event, yes. Uh, you know, COVID-19 is, is uh, showing us very uh, different pictures every day. Um, 
50 people at a music festival is not going to break even for an event professional. They need at least two or 3,000 people to break even on a music festival. And I think that most of you people will agree with me on that. But uh, what we will definitely have to have in place is an isolation area that will be top of the, uh, of the market um, at any event uh, for in case that there is a COVID-19 uh, suspect uh, at the event. Thank you. Maybe let's bring David, uh, um, Dave, um, just, just to indicate to us what do you think the sector has the capacity to implement and absorb all these measures? Um, yeah, look, preventative measures. I, I, they, they don't really have a choice. I mean, it's, 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 it's law. Um, so we have to find ways and means to work within the law. Um, I, I've heard a whole lot of uh, and read in the, in the chat that we need to really pull together um, and work as an industry rather than um, isolated individuals or isolated sectors. Um, a, a, an industry needs to pull together and lobby government to, to, to assist us um, both from a, a, from a legal point of view, but also from a financial point of view. I mean, uh, the, the, you, if we don't make sure that this industry is still there when things reopen, there's going to be nothing left to reopen. Um, the, 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 the technical companies, the artists, the event organizers are all just going to leave the sector and, and going to go and work somewhere else. Um, so if you do reopen, we're, we're not going to have any practitioners to, to, to run the industry. I mean, currently, it's, we don't know. Um, 50 people, wonderful. Um, the idea of, of, of using a hybrid um, scenario is great. I mean, I've seen some incredible um, opportunities. You can go and visit the backstage area of a, of, of a concert now at a virtual event. You have to develop um, the opportunities together with the, with, with the technology. But um, I've also seen in, in the chat uh, the, 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 the poor infrastructure here, technology infrastructure is a, is a big drawback. Um, and, and access to that um, data and, and, and good stream data. We've seen it today in, in, in some of the speakers that there's been some challenges, um, technical challenges. In, that's infrastructure issues. Um, I, I, I just think that we, we need to try and find ways to look after our industry in this time until we can be open. Um, and, and right now, it, it's got to come from, from government. Um, I, I understand that, that, that funds are short, but uh, how do we pay half a million people? I, I don't know the, the exact numbers. Nobody does, but um, we, you know, uh, uh, sorry, I see the question, 50 people. I think tomorrow is the, is the opening of 50 people at an event. But um, like Anne-Marie said, 50 people is not going to sustain um, any promoter or any event organizers. These are going to have to go um, virtual 
um, hybrid. And um, yeah, it's it, nobody nobody knows that it's the unknown aspect that that I think is the big challenge right now. We need we guidance. Yeah, we we hear you. Then let's let's just touch a little bit on the uh, the safety aspect because while we strive to open, we strive to get everybody. There's that psychological aspect uh, of safety fear events by nature are about people interacting, hugging, having a good time. There are certain legalities and liabilities and legal stuff that have continued to characterize the inventing space, but right now they have been put to the fore. Um, um, so so what, are you able to reflect on some of those, especially with regard to possible infection happening at an event and um, uh, public taking civil liabilities and uh, uh, instituting civil cases. Are you able to share with the audience here uh, what are some of the issues you guys are battling with? Well, right now, since we haven't been able to have events, that it, it hasn't really happened, except on set. Um, anybody going on set, there's these protocols, which Anna-Marie has, has touched on, um, the existing protocols um, that, that that have... That, that have been in place. I mean, from our um, side, it's been a little bit uh, deeper than that. Um, the challenges that we've had is um, regards even on virtual events, um, it's, it's not a safety aspect, it's a legal aspect of the ownership in copyright. Um, we've had artists who've had their live uh, virtual events pulled down um, because they didn't get clearance to perform their own music um, on, 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 a, on a virtual platform. So th there's that aspect. In, in addition to the, to the safety aspect, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on the, on, on the safety aspect, but it, it definitely is going to hold us back. Um, but can, are we prepared to um, accept responsibility for a COVID outbreak at our event? I, I don't know. That's... Um, the legal aspect is that you will be responsible. Um, I, I, I know that there's been a number of studios that have had to shut down due to uh, a threat. Um, two days, do a deep clean, and then and then they get back into studio. Um, but I think that's across industry. I mean, even police stations have had to be closed down um, for, for a deep clean. But uh, this is this is the new normal. Um, and we have to adapt. Um, I, I see that uh, in the chat that there are a number of uh, lobbying institutions, um, but perhaps those institutions need to pull together um, in, in, instead of um, there being this, such a myriad. Um, we all need to, get, to, to pull together to, to save this industry. Absolutely. Dieter, maybe bring you in on board. Um, do you think a consistent event calendar, probably incorporating the hybrid model will go a long way in assisting the sector to even plan. Uh, right now, everybody is planning individually. Um, a consistent event calendar that says that this is the 200 events in Gauteng across the, uh, what I corporate uh, event um, that we can share with the buyers 
and our our consumers to to, to look to look at and enable a centralized planning and execution for these types of of an event and then also um, we've seen now um looking into what now is called events with the soul so events yeah. are now taking a stand against injustices events are now um uh, sending in powerful message do you see us in the country in the engine hub holding of events adopting this model and how will that benefit the sector Look, I think um, even in the normal event space, ethical eventing is critical. You know, we've got to look at the where we source our, our, our entertainers from. We need to look at where we gain our um, food from. You know, it needs to be very ethical, needs to be green. So we need to look at all of those things. So um, I do believe that it's very important that we have an events calendar. And that's the lovely thing about virtual reality is that we can plan in advance. So we've got various platforms that you can use and you can plan a section of events ahead, a year in advance, where you buy your room, you develop your room, and you can say, I have a weekly virtual conference um, and we discussed various topics in this thing. And, and that's where cost savings come in very beautifully with virtual reality is once you've got your room built on many platforms, it's yours. And you can have it for three months, six months, a year, and you can then host your events. I do believe that uh, people are very much going to be looking at where events are going. And, you know, there's various, um, you know, trends in the events industry going forward, Black Lives Matter is critical. I mean, it's, it's critical to develop those and to actually enhance those ideas and really take them on board. It's, it's great to talk about it, but it's a different thing to actually take it on board physically. Um, some great ideas um, to basically make your event a little bit warmer. I saw some um, comments that virtual events are called and they have no soul, that type of thing. I saw quite a bit of that. And that's an that's a, 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 a image of virtual reality that's really not true. Um, the great thing about these virtual events is that you can use the build-up to the event amazingly with virtual events. You can, you can now spread out not just your little event. You can do pre-eventing, post-eventing. The amount of data we are harvesting from virtual reality events is the, the mind boggles because you can use that information to decide exactly what type of clientele you want to target. And you're not just then taking a stab in the dark, you're basically calculating your approach to a very specific client, which has huge benefit for you as a, as a, as a company. And as an event organizer, you don't want to invite people randomly you want to invite the people that you know are going to buy the tickets and spend the money with you. And that is very powerful within virtual reality. You know, there's so many creative ideas uh, for David's artists to come on board. People like real-time storytelling, you know, the, the graffiti artists that, that sketch online while the event is happening. That we can use to our advantage. I mean, use art to engage your audience. It's very important in these events to not lose your audience keep them engaged, have 
com little live competitions and games and polls and things like that. Keep them involved in your eventing because they, then you'll be very successful in the space. Um, it's, it's, it's a trend that, and the lovely thing about virtual reality is you can do anything you want. You can have a conference on the moon if you want. You can have a conference in a fairy tale castle. Things that um, limit you is your creativity in your mind. Um, and that's the only thing. That's what I love about virtual reality. You know, we spend millions of rands on decor and staging and props and this. And we can now create this in a virtual world. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really, I get very excited about it because your creativity is now no longer limited to what you can afford, to be honest. Um, you now more ideas to make it versatile, you know, share your usable desired resources. Um, you know, it's a platform where you can share your presentations. You can't do that in a physical pre uh, uh, environment. You can share free books, you can share slides, things like that. So, so, you know, it's, there's a lot of things we can adopt. Um, virtual entertainment is critical now. I mean, no longer do we need to have a stage with performers on. We can do performers from a from a distant location and we can stream them into the event. And that can add a lot of warmth and a lot of experience to your events. So virtual reality is not a cold experience. It's very much interactive. And we, you know, the fact is we have to deal with it. It's here. It's not going anywhere. So we either incorporate it into our, our hybrid events and live events, and your, your clientele increases to millions. I think I read a story that there's 8.5 billion smartphones out there in the world. You've got access to all of them with your events now. So a physical event doesn't give you that access. You've got access wow. immediately to 8.5 billion users. Uh, that's very exciting. I mean, I don't know if anybody out there isn't excited about that. I mean, can you imagine having 1 billion people at your event? Um, thanks, thanks, Data. Um, uh, uh, William, to, to, to bring you in again, then there is, I mean, you pick it up from the chart. People are saying that uh, 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 virtual fatigue, they, they want... real real meetings they want real events and towards a hybrid where we are able to socialize uh, some of these facilities like i said there was an abrupt uh, stoppage of the lives and uh, now we come back uh, renewed people uh, um, not having any baggage but how do you pace this up um, um, how do we involve consumers? You know, I always indicate that there's, there's always this temptation to think for the consumers, to think for our customers that they want this and the like. So how do we also balance getting insights from the consumers, what they prefer from, from, from our customers, but also guard against creating of what I call fake experiences. Um, um, guard against, you have probably seen the English Premier League with the virtual noise and, and everything for the fans, for TV. But um, uh, I guess we don't have such singing in the South African league. So we can adapt technology, but localize it. So how do we create local solutions that unearth new players, especially in our townships, in our villages, in our small communities, 
that are always excluded from these types of conversations. Sure, okay, there's a lot there. Um, I think first and foremost, you've got to understand what your consumer wants. If you don't understand what your consumer or your client wants, you're not going to be very successful at business. And I think that's the important thing. There've been many businesses that are not in the events or the exhibition space that have closed thanks to coronavirus and, and the lockdown. So let's just take that into consideration as well. I think if we understand that, you know, the technologies and the way that we blend technologies into these new experiences has to be one of the things that we pay very careful attention to, whether it's, you know, very difficult to do, I think creativity very often thrives when you put it under very tight constraints. So whether you can have 50 people in the room or whether you can have 500 people in the room later on, the, the business is going to evolve and people are going to kind of expand and contract as they've had to, to be able to make that work. I think if we don't pay attention to how we as South Africans respond to these tough times and how we have responded to tough times in the past, we've got to remember that these times are going to change, that things are going to ease up, that whether there's a vaccine or whether there's going to be international travel that gets opened up and, and the, the whole environment becomes something that we can play in again, that's what we have to be ready for. And we have to kind of create that environment for us as we go forward. We can't wait all of the time. I remember that when, you know, the first 21 days of lockdown, everyone thought all we have to do is just grit our teeth and we'll make it through. Then it became three months and now we've gone over almost 110 days. We have to, as businesses evolve, we have to, as businesses and as, as consumers of services, ask ourselves what's important to us and how do we stay in business? There are gonna be businesses that close and there are gonna be new opportunities that come about as, as a result. I've, I've seen so many people now become you know, sultans of hand sanitizer and personal protective equipment. They never thought of that before, but opportunities like these in, in crisis can unlock businesses as well to be able to do new things. When it comes to travel, we are made to travel. We as people want to be able to engage with other people. We are social beings. We will find a way to be able to get through all of this. And that's really the challenge that we need to kind of face up to is how do we do that as an industry to make sense of these changes and how do we make sure that when we do come out of this or we get through to this new normal, we're gonna be ready for anything that comes our way. Without a doubt, I've just been told by our technical team that they have been generous. So they've given us another 10 minutes. So we are scheduled to be done now. So let's, uh, as we move towards wrapping up, at least we have some few minutes to wrap up uh, probably the questions, uh, comments coming from uh, the chat and I'm glad uh, some of the panelists have been able to respond to them directly. But Anna-Marie, if we bring you back in, especially around um, um, what I call a COVID-19 certified eventing destination, what will it take for us to pride ourselves? I don't know if priding ourselves is the right word, but to say we are compliant we are meeting all the protocols. What will it take? What will be those high-level things that makes us a COVID-19 certified eventing destination? The, the protocols that I have mentioned is basic directives uh, or protocols that were given in a directive by Department of Employment and Labor. The Event Safety Council has also presented a reopening uh, guide to uh, Tibor Jana at Department of Employment and Labor, which he will present to NetLack, I presume, 
uh, we don't know when that's going to happen. So our biggest question is, we don't know when events will be opening. And virtual uh, events is good. It's, it, it's a, there is a market for that, but people want one-on-one -on -one events. Uh, I cannot see how that is not ever, ever going to take place in our country uh, again. So we will just have to ride through this COVID-19 and get over the peak and see what's going to pan out there. But the biggest question is we don't know when the events are going to start opening. I would presume October, that's my personal opinion. And I would presume that SAP will put a cap on that for a low, medium or high risk events. But um, at this stage, nobody's got that answer. Uh, unfortunately, as much as we would love that. I guess when I'm comes, how do we to familiarize ourselves as organizers, as planners, as people who buys and sells event, the technical team with uh, these protocols? How do we familiarize ourselves? Are you running any special sessions where members here, individuals can form part of to at least use this time to familiarize themselves? I mean, a simple thing like uh, exiting at an event, an event ends, and when it ends, everybody needs to leave. And that's where uh, social distancing measures becomes almost impossible. How do you introduce new exiting rules? Uh, when people come into the event, they come in different times interval. But when they leave, you always see that congestion. So maybe something along those lines uh, quickly and briefly. Yeah, um, that will depend on the type of event that there is. And it will also depend on how the event professional is going to let the people go out of the event or enter into the event. But I'm sure that we can be open to do webinars on this and we can have a talk through on that. There's lots of people that can help us with that. That's great. Um, um, Dave, uh, maybe as we wrap up uh, again, um, um, so from your side, what, what, are, what are the buyers, what are the consumers, what are our customers, what are our regular patrons looking for? Um, what, what are the insights telling us apart from the sector so that we are also able to make sure that our response also takes into consideration consumer preference amidst all this world. We have seen um, how other ma mainstream media have utilized uh, the power of the entertainment sector. Content now being packaged on Netflix, on entertainment journeys, on the film sector, so reusing the very same content to ignite, to inspire, and obviously wait and hope for the sector to open. How do we leverage some of those opportunities driven by consumer insights and their behavior right now? Sorry, uh, can... I was muted. Yes, um, we're a creative industry and I, I think uh, re-showing old stuff doesn't doesn't cut cut it. Um, there 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 is an, a, a huge amount of new stuff out there. There's uh, opportunities um, to to for for to incorporate performances 
um, to incorporate um, a, a, a social, corporate social investment aspect to, to your events. Um, there are a number of um, new NGOs that have, and some of the older ones, that have um, stepped in to try and assist the industry. Um, opportunities to, 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 for event organizers to assist the industry and make sure that these artists are still there when, when, when we reopen. Um, I, I can just think of the Theatre Benevolent Fund, the Feed Our Crew, Waiting in the Wings, Tusa Art, SAFE, the South African Fund for Entertainment. There are a number of people. I mean, artists themselves are performing online um, to raise funds for the industry. So, so the, the, the arts and entertainment industry have pulled together um, and, and, and we, we really uh, need the assistance of the rest of the industry to make sure that they, um, that they hear for you um, when you reopen. The, the artists are performing online, as you saw at the, at the Saki conference. Um, great, very successfully. Um, I mean, even having a, a, a South African song playing in the background um, at your event benefits the artist um, through, th through the rights and, 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 and um, that, that you'll have to pay to, to have music performed at, at, at your events. Lobby your radio stations to play South African music um, and, and incorporate local artists in your events is going to make sure that, that, that we are still there when, when we get back to, to what we used to know. Absolutely. Data, as we uh, close, go, move towards closer. Um, I mean, aspect, let's, let's just take an aspect like merchandising that forms part of the entire eventing experience. I, I guess there are opportunities to even, like you've said, start the experience way beyond the actual day with pre-orders of merchandise. Um, but how do we drive local production and local consumption? Um, a merchandise that reflects the event, the spaces, the conference, and everything local with good quality, but incorporating local experiences, production, and talents uh, to stimulate demand uh, and, and, and save jobs in, in the sector. I think it's very important that we look at our sourcing of, of, of merchandise because, you know, whilst there's nothing wrong with products, they are cheap, made in China, but our local product might be more expensive. And this is where people have a problem. Our products might be more expensive, but the quality you're getting and the value you're adding to the chain down the line is worth that extra spend. So I do believe that with the virtual um, reality space and also COVID, you can't really sell a lot of merchandise without adding to your risk factor. So now what you can do is you can uh, launch a event website uh, with, a, with a merchandise page, you order your merchandise ahead of the time, it gets delivered to your house, uh, similar to the take-a-lot schemes and that type of thing, those, those types of formats, so there's no contamination of your product along the way. Um, also, it's very important to plan what you plan on adding into your, so t-shirts, whatever you want, make sure you've got a small selection. Don't go too big with your events because then you're going to have products that are not going to sell, products that are going to sell. So the risk to you is quite high because added to your risk is the minimum requirements that you need to, to brand your product. 
Um, I think um, it's very important to have a holistic event. And what you can do is you can, you know, things like you can purchase data for, for, your, for your delegates. So what you can do is it's easy to send data to somebody's phone. So there's a lot of talk on the chat that says data is expensive. You know, data, data is limited, but what you can do as an events organizer is in your price, remember you can, this is a normal event. You're gonna pay 300 Rand for a concert that's live. This is a virtual event. You can still charge your 300 Rand, but add in a data charge there and send a data bundle on the day of the event to your delegates. And then they can use that to join your event. So then you eliminate that. So it's all about your the goggles that you've got on. You know, you can either see challenges or you can see solutions. And that's critical is we're in a state in a day and an age where you have to come up with solutions. You don't have a choice. So you can either keep on looking at the wall and seeing problems and problems and problems, or you can come up with a solution, brainstorm with other people. And that's why I said, it's very important that we all stand together, email each other, let's start working together and come up with solutions that we can all implement. There's a whole big world out there with a the virtual reality. Let's use it. Absolutely. Benny, you've heard it there uh, that um, while you buy a ticket for 300 rent, let that ticket comes with data and the like. William, as we go to closing, uh, you've heard the issues around technology failures, uh, phobia, um, fear of technology. Um, uh, what are some of the lessons in terms of the current solutions that have been implemented um, and what has been introduced uh, pre-COVID, I mean, a hologram experience. There was a time when the president was in Rustenburg and he was virtually hologramming into another space in Sentin and then it died over. But what are some of the learnings from what you have experienced now uh, pre-introduction of technology into the sector and the harsh realities of digital divide in the country like ours? I think, again, a big question. There's, the biggest thing I can say is that this, this thing here is what changes everything for us. I think in the last couple of years, it's really forced consumers and businesses to rethink what they do and how they do it. Technology, if you embrace it and you, you kind of keep up with what it offers the customer as a business, you can continue to evolve and to, to deliver that kind of value for that customer. I think whenever you introduce new technologies, there's a steep learning curve and there are mistakes that people are making. I think we've all seen in the last couple of days or the last couple of weeks of lockdown and on all these Zooms and webinars, all kinds of things happening in the background with you know, people walking into shots and cats attacking you know, book lamps and lamps and that kind of stuff. There's always going to be things that we need to adapt and change. And the more we practice and the more we become familiar with it, the better we get at delivering those kind of solutions and those kind of experiences. I think with mobile, it's definitely going to change the way that we do everything going forward as much as it has before. And today, like, like um, Dita was saying, there's so many ways that you can blend these experiences together to make it a much better experience than you would have had before. And I think when we are really kind of focused on how we can make these things better and how they can serve our customers better, that's when we start to win. When we push away from it and we resist technology, we're going to find ourselves you know, telling the same stories as those DVD stores and video stores. Uh, businesses that lost to to things like Uber and and to you know our friends at Airbnb, they also now need to change the way that they think. So for me, the important thing is understand what it is you need to be able to keep the same and what it is you need to be willing to change in order to get through these uncertain times. 
Absolutely. Uh, Chifiwa, we have the pleasure of giving you the, uh, the last words. Um, all in all, what is coming out is that there is the traditional tourism sector, there is the arts, the creative space, and there's commerce now. Uh, all this fusing uh, together to create this visitor economy um, that leverage on each other stuff. The challenges from your side uh, gets even bigger and bigger with now having to coordinate and collaborate with a bigger uh, audience. But I guess it also brings in exciting opportunities to utilize collaboration as a new driving way for measures. Um, what are some of the exciting stuff that we're anticipating from your side as you try and pull all these together to get us out of the hole we find ourselves in? Are we moving towards more an inclusive definition and execution of tourism to the visitor economy than a narrow focus now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as we reimagine, um, you know, tourism, travel, events, hospitality, and everything that has to do with our sector. Uh, and as we think about it post COVID or with COVID, so we don't know when this is going to end. Uh, I think it's quite important uh, to incorporate all aspects that have been discussed today. How do we incorporate technology and how do we make sure that the technology that we're using uh, benefits, you know, the clients that we're serving? And how do we ensure that while we're doing that, we also can be able to maintain our livelihoods? Uh, it's one thing uh, to sort of implement, but if we implement and we don't have anything coming to our pockets as businesses, we're unable to sustain jobs and sustain ourselves. So it's important that the technology that we use, uh, it's incorporated, it's important that our employees are part of these solutions and our employees are trained and skilled enough to use this new technology so that you know, it can empower them and it can ensure that you know, they maintain their jobs. That's why the issue of retraining uh, is quite important to make sure that we stay relevant within this space. Uh, we compete with many other countries across the world uh, for the international events. Here at home, we wanna make sure that the events that we do are up to standard of those that are done in many parts of the world. So how do we make sure that we do that uh, safely and how do we make sure that we do that sustainably? I think the issues around protocols are quite important in de-risking our sector and ensuring that we mitigate the spread of the virus. Uh, we are now allowed to do 50 people. Uh, we may be allowed to do more on the basis of the venues that we have. Uh, how do we do that safely? How do we make sure that you know we are not the source of infection and we are blamed and we get shut down? I think that's quite important for the event safety that is incorporated into that. So technology, safety, our employees, uh, how do we collectively work together to make sure that you know, there is success in this space? Uh, and the success in this event industry is a success for everyone. And I think that we can do that safely and we should do that uh, together. Without a doubt. Um, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And I cannot uh, overemphasize the points that um, the CEO of the Tourism Business Council, uh, Mr. Chief Ujifenga, is indicating that is in our hands. Um, it's all of us working together to make sure that we leverage these opportunities. As we move towards closure, allow me to also take this opportunity to thank the team 
um, the technical team that has put all this together, um, our panel, our speakers, um, who will, uh, have not been able to have this conversation without uh, their tireless work behind the scene. That's what happens when everybody pulls together. We like to thank our panelists, um, an hour and a half, and an hour 45 minutes will never be enough to dig deep into the key contents around what characterizes the sector, um, which is dominated by so many players. So we will want the conversations to continue. We will be exploring other smaller sessions that looks into the rights, that looks into health protocols, that looks into virtual events, uh, that looks into meetings, conferencing, and the like. So uh, be on alert for those coming conversations. And hopefully we could start piloting uh, this hybrid model if we are the sector that encourages people to start meeting at 50 with all the protocols. Maybe let's lead by example. And uh, as the GTA start introducing those hybrid uh, sessions where we could have the sector engagement uh, continuing. Special thanks to uh, the team at GTA, the leadership, CEO Connor, the board, uh, all our ex-co members. Um, William, we will want to close off uh, the session with um, a national anthem focus because we really need uh, divine intervention. We need God to bless uh, South Africa. We need Morena to boloka se shavasai. So, because uh, that's where we drive uh, uh, deep, deep and drive our inspiration from. But uh, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone. Let's keep the conversation going on GP Tourism Engage, hashtag visit Gauteng, hashtag GP Tourism Engage. The podcast will be available. We'll also be able to share it with yourselves. All of you who have joined us here will also be sharing the presentations, the contact details of all the presenters for personalized engagement and the like. But once again, we really like to thank everybody for making sure that these sessions are really people's driven, sector driven, uh, but they are not just uh, talking, they are providing solutions and looking into the future. From myself and the rest of the team, we'll leave you with the insights and the messages around how music can be utilized to bring hope. William? Nkosi sigeleli Africa Malupagani suponoloyo Iswa imitanda zoyetu Nkosi sigelela Tina lusapoloyo Morena buluka si chaba sa Jesu. O ferishe dintwa lima tuenye. O si buluke, o si buluke si chaba sa Jesu. Si chaba sa South Africa. 
South Africa A diblow fan on Sehemel A di deep defan on Sehemel Or on Sehemel Van di kranse alvor Sounds a call to come together And united we shall stand Let us live and strive for freedom In South Africa Thank you, everyone. Cheers.